Well, you ready to get started today? All right. We are going to look a little closer at that uh, verse that Jim just read out of Romans. really talks about the reason why we're here celebrating Easter today. The greatest day of the entire year is the one we're having today. We're celebrating the greatest miracle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing is ever bigger. Nothing has more impact than the resurrection that we're celebrating today. If you were to research the top 10 philosophical questions that people ask today, and I'm sure you do that every day, don't you? But if you were to look at these type questions that people are asking in our day, you would find two of those top 10 questions are these. Number one, is there a God? And number two, how can I be happy? Well, I'm thankful that there is a God. And there certainly is ample evidence for that. And I'm also glad to tell you that God actually wants you to be happy. And that's good news, isn't it? And so what we preach in the Christian church all over the world is what we call the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And that's what we're here to talk about today. How can we be happy? There is a God, so then the second question is, how can we be happy? How do we live a fulfilled life? How do we live a, God, a life that both is honoring to God and honoring to people and honoring to ourselves? What is the ingredients for that kind of a life? And I would just uh, uh, say, as we sang that last song, I Speak Jesus, I want to encourage you to speak the name of Jesus in your life and over your life and through your life and the life of your family. Speak that name. You may not know exactly what is needed in one of your children's lives. You might look at that and go, I, I, know, I know there's a difficulty, I know there's a problem, and I don't even know really what the solution is. I encourage you, speak the name that's above every name. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And so speak that name of Jesus. Speak it with power and authority, not with a passivity or lackadaisicalness, but speak it with power and authority by faith. And you will see the hand of God working in your family and in your life. God's given us what would be considered the Ten Commandments and then the Law of Moses. But Jesus was asked an important question. He said, what is, what, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? We got all these laws and all this stuff we're supposed to do and not do. He said, what's the greatest? And Jesus answered very simply, he said, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as your choice, as yourself. But love is a choice. Love cannot be coerced. It cannot be forced. We cannot be made to love even asparagus. Try as you may. The only battle I think I ever saw any of my siblings win against my father was when my sister was forced to eat uh, Brussels sprouts. And she just sat there at the table for I don't know how long and wouldn't do it. Well, she probably still does not love Brussels sprouts. You cannot force love. 
Love must be a choice. And so if we're going to love God and if we're going to love one another, it is by choice. But we also must realize if we're going to love God, it is by choice. But if God loves us, it is by choice. He chooses to love us. And that is powerful. The Bible says that God is love. He created the world that we have today. And he created it in such a way that we have the opportunity to reject him, which means we have the opportunity to love him. If you cannot reject, you cannot love. And God created the world. He could have done it in a lot of different ways. He could have created a world that had uh, the sea and the desert, the dry land, and the animals and the plants, but no human beings. He could have created that world. But he did not. He could have created a world in which human beings, you and I, didn't have a choice. We were forbidden from ever doing wrong. And he would not allow it. And if we even thought about going in that direction, he would stop us immediately. He could have created that world. But he did not. He created a world that allows you and I to reject him. And therefore, it allows us to love him. And that's the very thing that he wants us to do. Romans 3, we learn that there is a way to accept God's love and to reciprocate that love back to him. God would have to make us in such a way that we had that opportunity to reciprocate that love, and that's what he's done. And when we find that way of reciprocating that love back to God, the love that he has given us, that's where we find the life that we were created to live. Well, let's dive into this Romans chapter 3, and let's just talk about three different statements. Number one is, it had to be done. It had to be done. What are we really talking about? In the Jewish calendar, there are many festivals that they celebrate throughout the year, and they're instructed on this particular day, you're to gather your family together or you're to gather the Jewish community together, and this is what you're going to celebrate. And the highest festival of the entire year is called Yom Kippur, and it falls during the month of September, October, depending on the seasons of the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur is the highest festival of the entire year, and it is called the Day of Atonement or the Day of Forgiveness. And it is the day in which forgiveness and atonement are celebrated. It is prepared, the people would prepare through fasting and through prayer to present their petitions to God and say, God, please forgive me. Please bring forgiveness to me and to my family and to our nation. And then they would also seek out forgiveness from one another for the things that they've done wrong to one another throughout the year. It is the holiest, highest day in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur. And the Jewish people are very accustomed to understanding to the tradition that has been laid down thousands of years ago about an animal sacrifice being given for sins. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without blood being shed, then there's no element of forgiveness that God would be, quote-unquote, obligated to. God's character requires that sacrifice be made for atonement. We see this all the way back in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are 
created wonderfully. They're created perfect. They're placed in a wonderful garden called the Garden of Eden. And uh, there is many things that they can do. They are told to have dominion and to take charge, to lead. But God said specifically, you can eat from all the trees of the garden, but there's one right there in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree. That's mine. Don't eat from that tree. Again, God created us with a choice. We can reject him or we can love him. If we reject him, we find what, will happen to, what happened to Adam and Eve will happen to us. And when we reject him and when we go our own way, we are living in a state of death or separation from God in relationship. And yet if we come before him and love him and accept him and reciprocate that love back to him, then there's that point of union and connection. And we're going to talk much more about that in a few moments. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, God, there was a, there was a confrontation between Adam and Eve and Satan and God, in which God spoke to them and said, hey, we've got a problem, but I've got a solution for it. And after that, something happened that was very unique. There was an animal, one of the animals, and we don't know what animal it was. God killed that animal in order to make coverings for Adam and Eve's nakedness. There was an animal that had to die, so there the result or the consequences of their sin could be covered. There was a shedding of blood immediately after sin was detected. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God instructed the Jewish people thousands of years ago and has been carried on for thousands of years that there would be an animal sacrifice for the sin of the people. And for thousands of years, millions of animals, innocent animals, have paid the price for sin. And God was trying to show them this is a principle that you will better understand later, but you've got to do it now. The animal pays the price for something they did not do, but for something someone else did. Year after year, time after time, month after month, year after year, this is something that happened. And yet we find in the book of Hebrews, let's look at what it says in chapter number 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is, possible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. God enacts a system to where an animal would pay the price for the sin of a human being, and yet he says those animals could never take away the sin. And so what we find is these animals were sacrificed, and God would just put off the sin. He wouldn't take it away. He would just put it off. The sin was still there. The guilt was still there. And he says here, if the animal sacrifices would have worked, they would not have to be continuously given. 
And the people who committed the sin and offered the sacrifice wouldn't continue to feel guilty. And what he's doing is pointing here to Christ. What had to be done was there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice of God's choosing. There had to be a sacrifice that wouldn't just put off the sin, but would take away the sin. And that is the very thing that Christ did. It had to be done that Christ would pay the price for your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world. He paid the price for the sin of the good people, and he paid the price for the sin of the bad people. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. And what had to be done was Christ had to be that sacrifice for my sin and your sin. He was the sacrifice chosen by God, given by God, supplied by God, not just simply to put our sin off for another year, but to take our sin away and eradicate it. Aren't you thankful that God sent Christ so that we don't have to worry about sin anymore? He takes it away from us, and we don't have to have the guilt of the things that we've done in the past. He heals us from that sin. That is the power of Jesus on the cross. John the Baptist was perhaps the first one to really acknowledge this in flesh and blood. John the Baptist, the one who actually baptized Jesus as a symbol or a sign or an example for us. And he sees Jesus and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, behold, the Lamb of God that's just going to put it off for a little bit. or He's just kind of make us feel a little better about our sin. He said, no, he's the Lamb of God, the chosen one of God, the innocent one paying for the guilty, but he's going to take away the sin of the world. Every sin that has ever been committed or will ever be committed today or will ever be committed has already been paid for through the death of Jesus Christ. So no matter what you've done, or no matter what might happen tomorrow, Jesus paid the price for that sin. It had to be done. Someone had to pay the price. It could not be an animal. It had to be a man. Therefore, God became man. The Bible says he put on flesh. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of Judgment and condemnation? No, but full of grace and truth. He is the God of grace and truth, and he has paid the price for every one of our sin. It had to be done. There had to be a sacrifice, and Jesus, hanging on the cross, took the sin of the entire world onto his shoulders. He hung on the cross about six hours, and those last three were in darkness, showing Hey, there's something going on here. This is unique. It was the same as at midnight during those last three hours. God was showing them, hey, something unique is happening here. Pay attention. Because in that time, the sin of the world was placed on Christ, and he bore the pain and the agony and the guilt of all of our sin on the cross. Can we say, thank you, Jesus, for taking what belonged to me. You didn't have to, but you did it because you love me. God loves us. God cares for us. And it had to be done. But secondly, we're going to talk about it couldn't be done. What is that? What is it that couldn't be done? When Christ hung on the cross and 
bore the sin and the weight of all the things that we had done wrong, it could not be that the Father would not accept that sacrifice. The Father is the one who initiated and instituted this. He said it must be perfect. Christ was perfect. It must be holy. Christ was holy. Jesus was the Lamb of God, not the Lamb of Mary or Joseph. He was the Lamb of God, perfect in everything that he did. The Lamb of God, his sacrifice was not perfect because he was a good teacher. There are other good teachers. It wasn't perfect because he had performed miracles. God said, I'll perform miracles through you. You're my children. The sacrifice had to be accepted because it was God's choosing. And Christ was perfect. And Christ was holy. And he hung on the cross in place of our sin. The sacrifice had to be accepted because it was God's provision, because of his perfection, because God gave himself for us. The Bible says no one took his life, but he gave his life. And so on the one hand, we we look at Christ's death and we say, well, he was murdered because he was perfect. He had not committed any sin. There was, no, there was nothing, no reason for him to die. There was nothing that they could pin on him and say, that's the reason why we're killing you. You sinned. They couldn't do that. And so in one sense, he was murdered because he was perfect. But on the other hand, he was not murdered because he gave his life. They didn't, they didn't run him down and capture him against his will and he's fighting them. When they came to the garden and, and they wanted to find out where Jesus is, they said, well, there's, there's a group of people, they're these guys following Jesus, we don't even know who they all are. It wasn't like the soldiers came and said, Andrew, Peter, John, you know, they, they didn't know who Jesus was. And that's why they had to have Judas come and give him a kiss. Judas comes and hugs him, kisses him on the cheek. It was a sign, this is the guy. It was interesting what Jesus did. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. It's me. Let these others go. They haven't done anything. It's me. He gave himself up. And so therefore we know, yes, he was murdered because he was perfect, but yet he wasn't murdered because he gave himself. Showing you God loves you, that he gave himself. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, that if you will believe in him, you'll have eternal life and not eternal condemnation. It couldn't be done that death would hold Jesus. It was impossible for death to hold him. The greatest fear that you and I have is death because it's like this ominous thing. But when we are in Christ, that changes because now we recognize death, where's your sting? Where's the holding power of death? If I am in Christ and Christ rose from the dead, guess what? Death can't hold me because death could not hold Jesus. He was perfect. And so when he died, he died in our place. And when he rose, he rose as an example that one day you and I will rise if we are in Christ. And so what does death have to do with us? We don't have to fear death. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about being held by death. It is impossible for death to hold Jesus, and it is impossible for death to hold anyone who is in Christ. Death could not hold him. In John chapter number 20, verses 19 to 22, says, On the evening of that first day of the week, 
when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that one day there's going to be a day when death cannot hold you? Death cannot have its clutches in you because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. We don't have to fear what's coming next. We don't have to fear what death is going to be like. We'll only be there for about a millisecond. Because to be absent from this, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. In that moment when your heart stops, and I assure you, there will be a day when your heart will stop and your lungs will stop and your body will stop. This body, this house that you live in, it's going to stop. There's going to be a moment when it will not work anymore. But aren't you glad that one day you're going to get a new body? Aren't you glad that one day you're going to get a new body with all the other believers in Jesus Christ and you're going to be resurrected to a life of eternal joy and happiness? The Bible says he wipes all tears from other eyes. The Bible says there'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, for all the former things have passed away. And he says, behold, what I'm telling you is the truth. Write it down. That's the day that we're looking for. It cannot be done that death holds you because it didn't hold Jesus Christ. It can't be done. But lastly, I'm going to talk about what must be done. What had to be done was Jesus had to pay the price for our sin. What couldn't be done is death could not hold Jesus at all. And death will not hold those who are in Christ. But what is it that must be done? What is it that you must do in response to this? Well, John 20, 22 that we just read said Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us a lot about what God offers us, but it also talks about what we must receive. A gift given but not received is not a gift given. And God is here giving to you today. He's presenting to you today eternal life, happiness, joy, peace, goodness, but it must be received. It cannot be beneficial to us unless we receive it into our lives. Just as we were speaking the name of Jesus is healing and the name of Jesus is power, that's where we receive that and say, God, I believe. I'm sick in my body, but I believe, Jesus, you are my healer. Lord, I have a sickness in a relationship, but Lord, I believe you are healer, the healer of that relationship. Lord, there's an estrangement with me and a neighbor, a friend, an old friend, whoever. Lord, I believe that you are the healer of that relationship, and definitely he is. But we speak that by faith because we are receiving the word of God. And so our lives are different because of receiving the grace and the mercy of God. And then we live our lives differently. But have you received the grace of God? Have you received the truth into your life about God's resurrection? The fact that he paid the price for your sin on the cross. You know, it's one thing to think, well, you know what? My grandparents were Christians and my parents were Christians. I bet I'm okay too. 
There are no grandchildren in heaven. Only children. The Bible says you must be born again. Well, that's one of the times when Jesus said, this has got to happen. This has got to happen. He says you must be born again. You say, well, I, I think I'm okay because I go to church a lot. And uh, I, I, think, I, think that's, I, I think I'm good. No, you've heard this stupid joke, right? You can park yourself in the garage that doesn't make you a car. So true. You can go to church every Sunday. You can come to Hope Crossings every Sunday. But unless you're born again, you're missing it. God is there giving. God is there giving and giving. Are you receiving? Too many times we thought, well, well, I, you know, being a Christian means I got a, I got a bunch of stuff I got to do and not do. And oh man, I got enough rules. My boss is on me all the time. God said, I'm giving you love. I'm giving you the ability to reciprocate my love because I'm showering you with love. That's what he did on the cross. And there's healing in receiving. But how do we receive? How is it that that we come to this, this point of being born again? It is a simple word. We do it by faith. We come to God by faith. And we acknowledge what he has done on the cross. He paid the price for our sin. In the grave, he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. He appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days. He appeared to the men. He appeared to the women. At one time, he appeared to 500 people at one time. We're not talking about a hallucination or a dream or some some vague thing that went on. We're talking about the facts of the resurrection. We are not dependent on someone writing about Jesus who never even knew him or saw him. We are depending on the word of God written by those who saw him, experienced him, and saw him after he was resurrected. They were writing with complete confidence because they walked with him and they heard his voice. And we can depend on them. But what are we going to do about it? We've got to receive this gift by faith. It is not a mental ascension to say, well, I've got to figure this out, or I have figured it out. But it's a matter of faith to say, Lord, I believe. The truth is, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Well, what's a measure of faith? Well, I tell you, it's enough faith to get saved. That's the measure of faith. God has given to everyone the measure of faith to get saved. You've met those people that just seem like, man, they just trust God for great big giant things, and man, they are rarely disappointed. You're like, man, I don't have that kind of faith. But you have enough to get saved. You have enough to accept Christ as your Savior. But what are you doing with that faith? God has given enough evidence to make faith very reasonable. And he's left enough questions unanswered to make faith necessary. He's given every one of us enough. And he's left enough out to make faith the best step forward in our lives. So here to you this morning, here's the appeal. Do you know Christ as your Savior? I'm glad that your parents or grandparents or whoever are followers of Christ, but what about you? Have you placed your personal faith in Christ? 
or are you depending on someone else's faith? Are you depending on a mental ascension of just saying, I, I, I think I've got this figured out. But where's the faith? You see, just as love has action to it, Christ went to the cross because of love. So faith has action to it. When we step out in faith, what we're saying is, God, I believe. And Lord, I love. And we reciprocate what God's given us, that faith, and we reciprocate that love. Have you done that? The Bible says it's a must. It's a must. What had to be done? Someone had to pay for your sin and my sin. Christ did that. What couldn't be done? Death could not hold him. And death will not hold any who are in Christ. But what must be done? You must be in Christ. What does that mean? It means you say, I am connecting my life by faith with Jesus Christ, the one who hung on the cross, the one who died. He didn't faint. He didn't swoon. He died. Everything in his body stopped working. But three days later, everything started working again because he was raised from the dead. And you're saying, I'm putting my faith in God. That's what has to happen. Is this the moment for you today, Easter 2023, to say, you know what? This is the day I'm going all in for Christ. You've been circling Christianity. You've been checking it out. You've been looking at it. You've been poking fingers at it. Good for you. That's great. No problem. But there comes a point in time when you've got to say, you know what? I'm going in. I'm stepping forward. And this is my day. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, okay?